Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to the first episode of the brand new Sound Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Barbara Lewis. On this new podcast, we're going to be looking at emerging news and trends in health and medicine, helping you sort out which stories are really breakthroughs and which ones are just clickbait. A little background before we get started. I've been doing this work a long time as a health reporter on television and since the early 2000s on a public radio show also called Sound Medicine. Now we're a podcast with the same folks behind the microphone. And we're excited because this format gives us a lot more flexibility to respond to news when it happens, and also to take the long view when that makes more sense. So welcome aboard. Let's get started. This week, how the new rules for opioids could change the painkiller crisis. We know that opiates are great for acute short-term pain, but we've also known that opioids given long term can actually create pain and an emergency room physician on how the new anti-overdose medication has changed the landscape sort of they often give you a high five thanks for saving my life and they're out of here and that's the way it is is it frustrating for you oh it's terrible well it has happened opioid and heroin addiction deaths have surpassed the AIDS epidemic. As epidemics go, this one now tops the list for the U.S. How did we get here? And is there any signs of it slowing down? The CDC issued new guidelines aimed at limiting how and when physicians prescribe narcotic painkillers, which makes sense since primary care physicians wrote well over 15 million prescriptions for opioids in 2013. And that's just to their Medicare patients. So the total is more than 15 million in one year. Dr. Andy Chambers is an MD and an addictionologist who has been watching this epidemic's relentless march. Andy's been my go-to guy on this topic for a while, and he lives in a state, Indiana, that has been hit hard by opioid addiction. I wanted his take on the new guidelines. I, I think these are really important recommendations. I think that they, in, in a lot of ways, are corrective and actually are attempting to bring practice closer in line with our understanding of these drugs that we've actually had for a long time. But in a way, I think healthcare 
and medical practice in this country in, in a way became kind of got off track uh, with these drugs. There really got to be a sense, I think, in the broader medical community that more is better and longer is better when it comes to opioids and pain. We know that opiates are great for acute short-term pain, but we've also known that opioids, given long-term, can actually create pain, and that's called opioid-induced hyperalgesia, where chronic opiate use induces more pain. The 12 new guidelines start with a recommendation that non-opioid medicines be used for chronic pain and that opioids, such as hydrocodone and oxycontin, only be prescribed at the lowest dosage possible. Also, doctors are urged to monitor their patients at least every three months, if not more frequently, and to make sure that they're not combining opioids with other possibly addictive drugs. Opioids are really important for certain types of acute pain. Pain that comes on sharp and hard, but also goes away pretty quick. So opioids are like post-surgical pain. The other thing is mental illness is a huge risk factor. So that's also another area where we've gotten into trouble because we know that not acute types of pain, but chronic types of pain are more associated with mental illness, but then mental illness itself is a vulnerability to addiction. But what about for those vulnerable groups? You mm-hmm. said the younger population, right. Um, right. people that have a family history of addiction. Right. I mean, right. should they just not get them at all? Can I use, to illustrate, that's a great question. Can, can I use a case, yeah. a real case, to illustrate that mm-hmm. question and how I would think about it? Um, let's take, I'm going to change some details to protect the individual who I'm thinking about, but let's take a 25-year-old woman who is pregnant for the first time. And she is going to deliver her baby next week. She has opioid addiction and some mental health problems. Her opioid addiction was iatrogenic. It actually was caused by overprescribing from a doctor. But thank goodness she entered treatment during her pregnancy and actually got clear of opioids during her pregnancy. That's pretty hard to do. A lot of women don't do that. But she actually got... Uh, clear of her opiate use well before her pregnancy was advanced. So here she's riding into her delivery where what's going to happen? Is it going to be a vaginal delivery? Is it going to be a C-section, right? There's a whole range of possibilities of how this is going to turn out. And it is customary for doctors to not only give opioids in the hospital during these conditions, but, you know, write a script. I mean, if she has a vaginal tear, that's acute tissue trauma. If she needs to be sewed up, um, if she has a C-section, then doctors are going to write a prescription, you know, maybe 15 days worth of opioids. So, yeah, I mean, this is a concern, you know. So in this case, I would want that doctor to know this is a woman with mental illness, meaning vulnerability to addiction, This is a woman who's recovered from opioid addiction who, for goodness sakes, let's be careful what we're doing with our pain relief. Let's keep it to a minimum and be in contact with us about how we minimize her exposure to opioids. And there are things we can do to prevent, you know, to to balance that risk of stirring up her opioid addiction again versus giving her pain relief. And let's like, so one example would be If she needs opioids for pain relief, have that happen in the hospital. And then when she's discharged, 
then she goes home not on opioids. So the opioids are not in her own hands. Now, might this mean one or two days longer of hospitalization? Well, maybe. But if that's what it's going to take to prevent opioid addiction in this woman, which could destroy the rest of her life, I think one or two more days in the hospital is fine. I think the fear is every time there's a crackdown um, on prescriptions and limiting opioid prescriptions, there feels like there's a surge in heroin use. Right. The, The way I look at that is heroin, morphine, methadone, these are all opioids, you know. Um, they all are addictive. They all provide some degree of analgesia under right circumstances. They all have certain different effects. You know, they're, they're, really, they're really a common family of drugs. The issue is addiction to opioids. And it doesn't matter if it's fentanyl or morphine or heroin. But it feels um, like it does. It feels yeah. like um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just an outsider yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that says opi- uh, heroin feels kind of like dirtier, sleazier, mm-hmm. street drug, more mm-hmm. dangerous mm-hmm. Um, than prescription opioids. Well, Vicodin or, yeah. well, yes, but a lot more people have died from prescription drug overdoses than heroin overdoses by a long shot. So Dr. Chambers has been watching this phenomenon for years. People who are prescribed painkillers often receive more pills than they really need, several months worth sometimes. They develop a dependency, but then have trouble getting more pills. So they turn to heroin, which is so much cheaper. The surge in heroin is an unfortunate but unavoidable phase that there's no way for us to get around. The other reason, you know, the, the heroin is coming in is because we don't have treatment either. You know, so the medical system has actually instigated an epidemic of addiction and then it can't treat it. Well, they have Narcan, right? Now that Narcan is, is, is almost, what, over the counter. Yes. In okay. many cases it is. It is over the counter. Yeah. But also, uh, this here's another really important point. I mean, they're making is that Narcan is not a treatment for opiate addiction. It's a treatment for the overdose. It is, but okay. it does not treat opiate addiction. Now, the other piece is that, okay, sometimes people do get saved with Narcan, but they've got damage from the overdose. So now they've gotten medically complicated from the overdose. So they, their lives have been saved, but maybe they've had hypoxic brain damage or they've aspirated, you know, uh, inhaled contents from the mouth and caused pneumonia, you know, and, and they need to be hospitalized, etc. Are we getting any better? I mean, we've talked about this for a while and mm-hmm. every day there seems to be a new facet mm-hmm. to the opioid addiction mm-hmm. epidemic in right. the country. Are, are we making any headway? Not a lot. Not not yet. And And I think it's because the medical system and to some extent, you know, our the public and, you know, to some extent our government, our governments, right? Because we got local, we have state, we have federal government, haven't really gotten their head wrapped around what, what we need to do to change health care, you know, to orient it toward more toward behavioral health medicine, brain medicine. We actually need an infrastructure of trained physicians and appropriate insurance reimbursement and facilities to treat addictions. So a lot of the, 
you know, movement around this is kind of going all over the place except for those core issues. And I think it's beginning to get into that, you know, into the treatment focus, but there's still just a lot of resistance and stigma and hesitancy to really get into that. But the underlying issue here ultimately is how do we treat opioid addiction? The, the kind of guidelines that the CDC has put out, I mean, those came from doctors. But, you know, right, there were, there were expert physicians who got together who worked with CDC to come out with these things, you know. And actually, that agenda should have been present over the last 20 years. And if they were, this whole thing would have been much smaller, if not non-existent. Dr. Andy Chambers runs the Addiction Psychiatry Training Program at the Indiana University School of Medicine. We'll take a break, and we'll be back with another viewpoint on the opioid addiction crisis. You're listening to Sound Medicine. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. So the new federal guidelines are designed to save lives on the front end of this epidemic by making it less likely that someone will become addicted. On the other end is the emergency room physician who sees several overdoses every time he or she comes to work. I went to Franciscan St. Francis Health Hospital on the south side of Indianapolis to talk with Dr. Howard Levitin. He was on duty in the emergency department. A few years ago, he led the effort to develop and implement new guidelines for prescribing pain medications in hospital emergency departments. And he agrees with Andy Chambers that while medical treatments for opioid overdose is a life-saving tool, until we ramp up care for people with addictions and mental illness, this ER merry-go-round will continue. Ironically, Dr. Leventon was running a bit late because he'd just been caring for an overdose patient. And a friend, he doesn't like to shoot himself up with the heroin, he doesn't like needles. So his friend injected him with heroin, takes off, and he's found unresponsive, not breathing in a vehicle. I mean, you have to, it's just amazing. So, so what do you do then? So they come in. Walk me through so I understand. Well, when he's, he's found unresponsive and EMS is called and... EMS has the antidote. They had Narcan. So they gave him Narcan. He wakes up quickly. He's brought in the emergency department. Narcan, that's the brand name for naloxone, has been a game changer for treating overdoses. It works like a reverse opioid. You have somebody who is not breathing, is cyanotic. Their pupils are pinpoint and are not responding. You give them Narcan within seconds, they wake up. 
it's miraculous. An opioid overdose slows the breathing, so a person gets really drowsy and then goes unconscious. Narcan speeds up the breathing, reverses the drowsiness. In short, it's the antidote to dying of an opioid overdose. And since many EMTs now carry Narcan, overdose victims are often awake by the time the ambulance pulls into the ER bay. And really, our job, outside of trying to talk some sense into them, trying to give them services that they can seek out, there's not a lot that we do. We observe them. The life-saving occurred pre-hospital. They had Narcan. They gave it to him. Within seconds, he woke up. And if you think about it, if he was there another 30 seconds or a minute and no one found him, he'd probably be dead. So Narcan, having that available, is really a, a fantastic thing. But it's even. I think we've also kind of oversold it a bit, and and um, in that, we now think that Narcan, you know, you give it, it works, and everything works out well. I mean, are there complications with, with with Narcan? Can there be? In, in generally, no. Visually, not. I mean, if the if the person didn't have a narcotic overdose or an opiate overdose, the Narcan isn't going to hurt them. A person who's truly addicted to uh, opiates could go through some minor withdrawal symptoms or even some major withdrawal symptoms for a short period of time. But what we're talking about are overdoses, somebody that has stopped breathing, and unless you intervene, they're dead. It's simple as that. Uh, I think we've all seen enough cases, depressing, sad, unfortunate cases of people that were found too late, children, people at parties, roommates that nothing was done, no intervention, or afraid to call for help, that they put themselves at risk, and they're dead. I don't see those people. How often do you use Narcan? I would say the immersed department every day. I, I've used it twice. I've already had two today. So it is a daily event. I'm sure we're using Narcan or taking care of a patient who received Narcan at least once or twice a day, if not more. Are they often the same people? I mean, do you see the same people come back? Or are these all new cases? Well, that's a good question. You know, I think it's, I think it's a little bit of both. Predominantly, you know, we see so many people here, so it's hard for us to say I saw the same person twice. But it's so many people, various age groups, various economic backgrounds. You know, I think falsely we have an image of who the heroin user is and um, they don't always fit that impression. You know, these aren't bad people, these are just people who've made bad decisions. And if they use heroin or they're not used to using heroin or the heroin itself is mixed with another drug, they, they stop breathing. Or people who have access to prescription drugs take too many. People are on methadone for treatment for heroin, take too much methadone, they stop breathing. So it is a, you know, it's a pretty overwhelming problem. And when have you started to see this? I mean, when has the emergency department here really started to see these one or two cases every day? Oh, I think it started five, six years ago. Uh, it, was a, it was a massive change. You know, prior, prior to that, we were, we were seeing some heroin, but most of it was cocaine-related. We saw a fair amount of spice, the synthetic marijuana, we are seeing a fair amount of methamphetamines. And then strangely, about five years ago, we rarely saw those cases anymore. Most of it is narcotic related. Okay. When it um, can differentiate, I don't know, opioids are opioids, but um, do you make a distinction between uh, when someone comes in with, with, with a heroin overdose versus uh, prescription pain 
pill overdose? The only difference is, is how long you'd probably observe these people. So, for example, heroin is a pretty fast onset, and if you give them Narcan, um, they're pretty stable usually within a few hours. Some of the heroin is laced with other opiates or narcotics like a drug called fentanyl, which is very common. That will definitely prolong the event and we watch them longer. If it's somebody that took an overdose of a long-acting narcotic, they may be here for 8 to 12 hours or here overnight in the hospital because the antidote lasts on average of about 60 minutes on average. So if you have a long-acting narcotic, they may wake up, but within an hour or so, they're going to go back down again because the narcotic itself is still in their blood. So I'm wondering what happens to them after they leave the emergency room? I mean, do they go home? Do they get admitted? Do they get arrested? Oh, no one gets arrested, or I would say that's a rarity. I've never seen that in all these years. Most of them go home. We uh, sometimes will have a crisis intervention. Our behavioral team will come in and evaluate them. People are saying, I really want to get off the drug. I really want help. We'll, they'll receive an evaluation here, but often an outpatient referral. Some people who have the resources and have a real desire to uh, go through an addiction program, um, some will be admitted. The vast majority are, uh, they often give you a high five, thanks for saving my life, and they're out of here. And that's the way it is. Is it frustrating for you? Oh, it's terrible. It's people making bad choices over and over again. And there, there's nothing you can do for these people most of the time. There's, first of all, there's not the services. You know, if you have money, you have insurance, there's a lot of things available to you. But many of this population have no resources, have no access, or there's no support system. And they just return. They're happy they were saved. They really are appreciative. They often cry and can't believe they did this. But addiction is a powerful force, and they continue to do what they do. So how does Narcan work in the human body? I mean, what, what is it that it does? So an opiate, we use different words, opiate or narcotics, they work on a specific receptor in your brain. We call this receptor the mu, M-U, the mu receptor. Narcan is an interesting drug that is, has a stronger affinity to that receptor, which means that when Narcan gets in, the receptors holding those opiates would rather have the Narcan there than the uh, narcotic itself. So it displaces that narcotic from those receptors. And it does that as long as the drug is around. Within 30 to 60 minutes, this Narcan starts breaking down, the receptors become more available, and the narcotic reattaches to the receptors. So does it put people into like a full withdrawal? Rarely. Okay. I mean, most of the people that we see uh, are not chronically addicted, so we don't see often see a lot of withdrawal symptoms. And it seems like it must be, I'm going to say, easy to do. I mean, in terms of if it's kind of over-the-counter now, you mm -hmm. know, I mean, there, it's in police cars. It's you, so, so for anyone to administer it, it doesn't sound like it's that tricky. You could, the one form is simply an intranasal form. You just take this and you basically has a, it's called an atomizer that you attach to it. You put it in their nostril and you spray it. That's easy. There's an auto-injector, sort of in a similar fashion to the auto-injector for people who have bee sting allergies. It's a little device. You break a little cap and it has a little voice that tells you what to do. You put this over their leg or their arm and it'll give them an injection of Narcan. So really, it's relatively simple to give this. 
So who do you see? I mean, you would see a whole spectrum of people that take opioids for a variety of reasons, some legitimately, some abusing it. Yeah, I think we see the full spectrum of chronic pain and the consequences of the opioid epidemic in the emergency department. So we see from patients with legitimate pain who no longer have access to pain management for whatever reason. Uh, to individuals seeking prescription narcotics either for personal use or for illegal diversion for selling it, Um, to overdoses from prescription painkillers and heroin to those whose lives have been ruined either directly or indirectly from this epidemic. So let's talk about some of the the, the barriers to care both for the patients and and for the prescribers. I think on the patient side you hear many people are afraid of the stigma. They're afraid that now that they know that this person's using these drugs, there's an automatic stigma associated with it, and they don't want to talk to healthcare providers. Again, the impression that we have as a heroin user is somebody who's living on the streets, but we have well-educated, well-employed, suit-and-tie people that will come to the hospital or have an overdose of heroin, and they don't want people to know that. So that's one of the stigmas. I think there's mistrust of the medical providers. I think they feel that they're not going to take their problem seriously or they're thought of as something less than they are, bad people instead of people who make bad decisions. I think there's a fear of legal consequences. I think if they come to the hospital, they're afraid they might get arrested or police will be involved, so they don't want to come to the hospital or they don't want to call EMS or to get help for their friend because they're afraid themselves that something may happen to them. And then finally, I think there's an overwhelming fear of withdrawal. If they're, they're addicted to narcotics, they have an overdose, we give them the antidote or Narcan, and now they're going to go and withdraw. So I think that's some of the fears on their side. I think on the provider, there's also some barriers there. I think in general, there is some negative attitude towards addicts. Uh, I think people just don't want to interact with them. I think they have a preconceived notion about these people. So they don't want to be known as someone writing prescriptions because they may not want to be able to care for these people. No doubt in the emergency department, we're, we're slighted because we see this every day. A lot of primary care physicians may not see this. Uh, or patients may be reluctant to discuss it, so they may not be the ones providing them the antidote. And I think there's lack of clarity about who really should get the naloxone. Is it the IV drug abuser? Is it the family? Is it the friend? Who do you write this to? And there may be some concerns about liability. So what do you do? I mean, because you do. You see them, and they're going to be leaving the emergency room. What do you do about Narcan? uh, We write a prescription to these people for themselves, if they're here by themselves, to give them to go out to to a pharmacy and get a prescription for Narcan. If family is here, I'll write a prescription for the family, too. It is a terrible problem. Yes, these people need help. Yes, they need to have an intervention. But unless we have something to save their lives and we often have very little time, bad things will happen. So I encourage the family, you find your loved one down or a child that you know what's going on, having, if you have thought that this child may be doing this, having Narcan in your home as an antidote will save your child's life. And I think that is one of the most important life-saving things we can do. One last question, I'm thinking kind of car accidents or something, people who weren't in chronic pain before they came in. What are you doing now when you're sending them home? I think people have truly acute pain, let's say a fracture or severe injury. In many cases, narcotics are still used. And we provide a prescription to them for a very short time. Rarely do you need more than three to five days of medication. But we see many people with severe pain. Kidney stones, abdominal pain, fractures, these people are truly hurting. 
Look, we went into medicine to stop disease and suffering. P treating pain is ingrained into what we've done for hundreds of years. We want to help people, but yet we don't want to cause people to get into addiction and the chronic problems associated with this. You know, m many of the overdoses that are occurring are, is not heroin. It's people getting mom and dad or grandpa's narcotics out of their medication cabinet and taking those drugs. It's just, it's terrible because there are people legitimately have pain and now we're often afraid to write the pain medication for their purposes, liability issues. It's really, really difficult. When the epidemic started and joint commissions, the accreditation standards came out that said we weren't treating pain well. We needed to have a fifth vital sign, how much pain you're in. Most of us in the emergency department thought this was ridiculous, but we were being held to a standard based on a belief that we're under treating pain. So we responded accordingly. We treated pain, and now we're in this situation. It's a mess. Dr. Howard Levitin is a board-certified emergency physician at Franciscan St. Francis Health and on the faculties of both Indiana University School of Medicine and Marion University College of Osteopathic Medicine. Sound Medicine is written and produced by Nora Hyatt. Chris Lieber engineers and edits the show, and he wrote our theme music. We are distributed by Acast with support from the IU School of Medicine. So tell your friends they can find us on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have a topic you'd like us to explore, our web address is acast.com slash soundmedicine. I'm Barbara Lewis. You take care. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.